Please turn in your Bibles to Matthew 21. We've been through a series of, of topical sermons, but we're back in Matthew 21 to where we, we're going through the, the book of Matthew. We'll be here one week. Next week, we'll have a Christmas-flavored sermon from Luke's Gospel. And then Pastor Michael Osborne is going to be preaching on January 31st, I believe, on the fruit of the Spirit. And then we'll be back in Matthew in the new year, God willing. Matthew 21, verses 28 through 32. Matthew 21, beginning in verse 28. This is Jesus, our great commander, our rock, speaking. What do you think? A man had two sons. And he went to the first and said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind and went. And he went to another son and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said, The first. Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. Father, we ask that you would teach us all that you want us to know from these verses. We ask, oh God, that you would keep us from being in any way like these religious teachers. Father, we ask that you would change our minds, that you would cause us to change our minds in any ways we need to change our minds about anything in our lives, anything we're doing, saying, thinking, how we're acting. God, we want to change our minds to be in total and full conformity to Your will and word and desires for us, God. And so we ask, Lord, that Your Spirit would work in me and us today, that You would show us how You want us to change our minds. And and Father, we, we, we ask that, that You would cause that to happen. Just as You swallowed Jonah with a whale, God, we pray that You would swallow us to cause us to walk in Your will, to cause us to change our minds, that You would take away our hearts of stone and any remnants of stone and, and make it all flesh and fill us with your spirit to cause us to walk in your statutes and commandments and obey all of your will, especially, Lord, that we would believe. We would believe your word. We would believe your promises. We would believe your son. We believe what the prophets and John the Baptist said about Jesus. And so, Father, come and, and work in us by your spirit and change us and help us and make us all you want us to be. For Jesus' sake, amen. amen. Last time that we were in Matthew, back in October, we saw the religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees, question Jesus' authority. And He responded by asking them a question that they could not answer, revealing the true state of their sinful hearts and revealing Jesus' supreme knowledge and authority. And the main point of that sermon was you don't question Jesus' authority. <laughs> he holds highest seniority. He alone is the majority. In everything, He is superiority. And submission to Him is always your first priority. This week, right after that portion of God's Word, Jesus tells a parable that sort of drives this point home. A parable that contrasts the religious leader's rejection of John the Baptist's and therefore Jesus' authority, because John pointed to Jesus, with the submission to Jesus and John's authority by some very non-religious and scandalous people. 
And we see in our text today that Jesus hates hypocrisy. He, he, he hates a, a, an outward show of religion when there's no true heart religion. And He delights in repentance. He delights in the change of mind. He delights in faith, believing in Him, and He delights in obedience to all the will of God. You could say it these ways, talk is cheap. Talk is cheap to Jesus. Or... different theologians put it this way, performance is more important than promise. Performance is more important than promise. This son promised, yes, I'll go, but didn't perform. Performance is more important than promise. And there's also an emphasis in this text on believing. Trust is more important than talk. Trust is more important than talk. And so the point I would drive home from this sermon would be this. You should submit to Jesus' authority, change your mind, and trust and obey Him in order to enter the kingdom of God. You should submit to Jesus' authority, change your mind, and trust and obey Him in order to enter the kingdom of God. Point number one. I think there's only two points today. This is a shorter sermon Normally it's six pages. I only have four today. Be encouraged. <laughs> Point number one, the parable of the two sons. The parable of the two sons. Look at verses 28 through 31. What do you think? A man had two sons and he went to the first and said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterward he changed his mind and went. And he went to the other son and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir, but did not go. Which of the two sons did the will of his father? And they said, the first. So we see here a father who commands. He has two sons, and he commands them to go and work in the vineyard. And any Jew, remember Jesus is is asking this question to these religious leaders, these Jewish leaders, and any Jew who heard this parable would know that a, a son should obey the father. Exodus 20, 12. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that your Lord, the Lord your God is giving you. Ephesians 6, 1-3. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and mother. And, and just notice, <laughs> to ground Paul's command here in the New Testament, he quotes the Decalogue. For people who want to say we don't need to obey the law anymore as Christians because we're in the New Covenant... Paul begs to differ. (laughs) Paul just begs to differ. Just see that. Just wanted to point that out here. He's he's basing a New Testament command on the Decalogue, the Ten Words, the Ten Commandments written on our heart. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for it is right. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Colossians 3.20, children, obey your parents in everything. Children, you hearing this? This is your, your part, children. Obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. And beloved, we know that the, the Father's commands are good. He, he, he commands these things because He loves us. He loves you. He wants what's best for you. His commands are not burdensome. They're good. For the true believer, the born-again believer, they make us delight in Him and His commandments. Psalm 119, He commands us these things because He loves us. And so we have this son, these sons who are commanded by the Father to go and work in the vineyard. And we see that this son says no to obedience, but then obeys. The first son says no. (laughs) That's sort of shocking. I have a friend when he was like 18 years old in his home and his mom told him to do something and he said no. And dad came home and gave him a spanking. 18 years old. The rod drives foolishness from the heart, the Bible says. Not time out. The rod. We believe the Bible in this church. And now that man is serving God 
praising Jesus in a church. He says, no, you don't do that. You don't do that. But then he goes and obeys. Verse 29, and he answered, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind and went. Saying no to a lawful order your father gives you is bad. (laughs) That's, That's disobedience. We really have two disobedient sons here. Two disobedient sons. It's bad to say no. But in the end, he obeys his father and does what the father says. And friend, one of the points of this sermon and this this parable that Jesus is teaching is God loves obedience. Proverbs 21.3, to do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. God has a passion for obedience. Well, this son obeys. In the end, he does obey. And so the father goes to a second son, and the second son commands the second son to go work in the vineyard, and this son says yes to obedience. But then he disobeys. Verse 30, And he answered, I go, sir, but did not go. Jesus' question to the Jewish religious leaders, the chief priests and elders, is in verse 31, which of the two did the will of his father? And they said, the first. They got it right. They didn't know how to answer the, the, the other question, right? Remember uh, Jesus asked them about John the Baptist and where his authority comes from. They didn't, we don't know. But they get this one. Yes, give us one we can get. They get it. But this parable is about them. This parable is about them. They say yes. That They say yes in, in lots of ways in their outward show of religion. They come to church. They come to synagogue. They praise the Lord with their lips. They they have this outward conformity to God's laws that says yes, but they don't do it. They, 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 They worship God with their lips, but their hearts are far from God. This parable is about them. Doing the will of the Father is what matters most. Remember Matthew 7, 21-24 in the Sermon on the Mount? Because there you have talk with no trust and action. Where Jesus warns us that not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them, does them, does them, not just hears them, but does them, will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Spurgeon said, I'm shaken, but my rock stands firm. Beloved, you should submit to Jesus' authority, change your mind, and trust and obey Him in order to enter the kingdom of God. Point number two, that was the parable. Point number two, Jesus' interpretation of the parable of the two sons. Look at verses 31 and 32 again. Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, The tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. And some some D.A. Carson argued it it should actually be instead of you. That the Greek word there can mean instead of you. And I I would take that view here because if you keep reading the next parable, it's clear these folk ain't going to heaven (laughs) unless they change their mind. For John came to you in the way of righteousness and you did not believe him But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed Him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe Him. 
Beloved, notice, notice in this text as Jesus interprets this parable, sinners, tax collectors and prostitutes who are repenting of their sins and believing in the one John prepared the way for, which is Jesus, they're repenting and being saved. Throughout Jesus' ministry, we see tax collectors and prostitutes are being saved. And this, this is shocking. This would be shocking to the ears of these Jewish leaders. <laughs> you, you guys aren't going in. Whores and hookers and prostitutes are going in. Hmm. Really? Jesus, tell me more. This is shocking. But we see this happen. Let's look at a tax collector coming into the kingdom. Matthew 9, 9 through 13. Matthew 9, 9 through 13. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth and he said to him, Follow me. And, and beloved, remember, you've got to understand, tax collectors were hated. They were hated in Israel. They were viewed as cheats and scoundrels and lovers of money and those who betray their own people taking money and taking the side of the Roman oppressors. <laughs> they were not well thought of. And, and, and Jesus sees Matthew and, and says, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his, his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Are you a sinner here today? Jesus came for you. Be encouraged. And Jesus came to save prostitutes. Turn, turn with me to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner. When she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him. For she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this? who even forgives sins. And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Beloved, this is why we preach sin and hell at this church. 
so that you will be like this woman and realize the magnitude of your sin and what it deserves and realize that Jesus saved you from that so that you will love much because you realize how much you've been forgiven. Jesus saves sinners. He saves tax collectors and prostitutes. And when we realize how much we've sinned against Him and how much we're forgiven, we love deeply. We love deeply. When the Jewish leaders rejected John, they rejected Jesus, and they refused to repent and believe. And so in contrast to the tax collectors and prostitutes who are coming into the kingdom, Jesus says, the Jewish religious leaders, they reject John, they reject Jesus in rejecting John, and they refuse to change their minds. They refuse to repent and believe. And we, we saw this in Matthew 21, 23-27, when Jesus asked them, why did you not believe John? And they were afraid of the crowd. They didn't want to say what they really thought, so they said, we don't know. They just copped out. They chickened out. They rejected John. They reject Jesus. And ultimately would have Him put to death. Beloved, this parable is about them. One commentator summarizes this parable in three points. Number one, like the father sending his son to work, God commands all people to carry out His will. Number two, like the son who ultimately disobeyed, some promise but do not perform rightly and are so rejected by God. And number three, like the son who ultimately obeyed, some rebel but later submit and so are accepted. Beloved, this parable teaches us that anyone who repents and believes in Jesus can and will be saved. (laughs) This is good news. Prostitutes and tax collectors can be saved. Pedophiles and rapists and racist KKK members can be saved. Murderers can be saved. Remember the thief on the cross. I mean, he done something real bad. (laughs) He's being crucified on a Roman cross. The end of his life, moments away from being cast into hell forever, and he sees naked Jesus hung up like a piece of meat on a cross and says, that's a king. I mean, think about the faith of this thief (laughs) to trust in the crucified king and says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says, today you shall be with me in paradise. Jesus came to save sinners. Anyone, anyone who repents and believes can be saved. Remember last week, 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. Such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. They were saved through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Gospel means good news. And the good news is Jesus came to save sinners. The bad news is we've all sinned against God. We've all broken God's laws and commandments. We we have gone our own way and been disobedient. We've taken pride in our religious practices. We have committed adultery in our hearts and minds. We've looked with lust. We've been angry and lost our temper. We've been impatient. We've not loved God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And we've not loved our neighbor as ourselves. And because of that, we deserve God's wrath in hell. But Jesus came. Jesus came. Born in the feeding trough of a cow. Took on human flesh. Lived a perfectly obedient life. Never disobeyed. Always said yes to His Father's will. Died on that cross where He suffered the curse and judgment and wrath and hell of God and was buried. And on the third day, He rose from the dead. 
He conquered sin, death, and hell. And He ascended into heaven. And He's given all power and all authority and rules and reigns as King right now and intercedes for us right now and calls all people everywhere to turn from sin, to change your mind and believe in Him. And you shall be saved. You shall be saved. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Friend, if you've not believed in Him, would you do so today? Would you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ today? You can't work for this salvation. You can't earn your way into heaven with your obedience. You can simply receive it as a free gift of God by faith alone. Would you do that today? If you're here this morning, you've not trusted Christ, I invite you to believe on Him today. Find someone to talk to afterwards. Talk to me afterwards. We, we want you to get right with God and trust Him. God delights to save sinners. Ezekiel 33.11 As I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? Even in our passage today, if, if the Pharisees, the wicked, self-righteous, proud Pharisees that Jesus was always most angry and upset with, if they repented and changed their minds and trusted Christ, they would be saved. The vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus, a pardon receives, the hymn says. Beloved, this is the good news of the gospel. Beloved, beware of saying yes to God and making an outward show of religion, but then failing to obey God and have true, living, and vital religion in your heart. This parable teaches us to beware of saying yes to God and making an outward show of religion, but then failing to obey God and have true and living and vital religion in your heart. The religious leaders were hypocrites. Again, they had this outward show of, of, of doing things, and yet they didn't do the weighty matters mercy, and justice, and love, and trust in God. They rejected God's Messiah. David Platt writes It's quite astonishing to consider who is identified in this parable as being obedient to the Father. Women who were slaves to sex, prostitutes, had experienced a radical transformation by submitting to God through John's ministry. They were previously trying to find thirst-quenching satisfaction in people, but now they found it in the living water that only comes from the king's cup. Men like Matthew, the author of this gospel, were changed from greedy tax collectors to lavish givers. Yet the religious leaders who had seen great changes in people through God's grace still refused to believe. Sure, with their lips they said they loved God, but their hearts were far from Him. They ultimately failed to follow His will. They were like the second son who said yes, but their lives said no. This is a story of dead faith without works. A topic James' epistle speaks to. To put it another way, this is a story of confession without repentance and submission. While some people genuinely turned from their sin and trusted in God, the chief priests and elders merely gave verbal affirmation to Him. There was no real repentance or submission. And so, beloved, when we, when we read a, a parable like this, we want to ask, Lord, show me. Father, what are ways in my life that I'm, I'm outwardly showing and, and outwardly saying yes, but not truly and deeply submitting to You and following You? What, what are those deep recesses of my heart that I've, I've not yet fully and totally submitted to You and Lord and said, Lord, it's Yours. All my hopes and fears and dreams, Lord, they're found in You. Lord, where are, there, where are there idols in my life that I, I must have this or I can't be happy? Lord, show me that and kill it. Kill those idols. You read about that Christian man who went into Iowa State House and decapitated that devil statue. We need to decapitate those idols in our hearts. And crush them. 
Lord, do it. Do it in me. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Search us as a congregation. Lord, show us our idolatries and, 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 and bring everything into the light and set us free that we might worship You in spirit and in truth and not have lips that praise You and hearts far from You. Give us hearts close to You, O God, and take our breath away with Your beauty. Beloved, there's also hope that if you've started out saying no to God, it's not too late to change your mind. You're still breathing. (laughs) You're here. There's still hope. As long as, as you're still breathing, there's still hope. Maybe some of you have a prodigal son, a prodigal daughter, prodigal family members. If they're still breathing, there's hope. Keep praying. Keep sharing the gospel. Keep telling the old, old story. Pastor, I've told them 50 million times. I've given them a gospel book for the last 20 Christmases and nothing changes. Give them another gospel book. (laughs) Give it again. Keep praying. Keep trusting. Like the persistent widow. Go, go, go. Don't let him go until he blesses you. Keep praying. I was so inspired this week by a video in the, the Army football team locker room where, where the, the coach is firing up the troops where he says, I'm going to get up and fight. I'm going to get up and fight. I'm going to get up and fight. And then I'm going to get knocked down. And I'm going to bleed a while. That was so helpful for me. Sometimes we get knocked down in the Christian walk. Sometimes we get discouraged. Sometimes we want to quit. Sometimes we just want to go home. It, it's helpful to acknowledge that. I just had to lay down and bleed a while this week. But then I get up again and fight again. That's the Christian life. Christian life is war. God uses warfare all over the place to describe the Christian life. Keep praying. Keep praying. One uh, uh, pastor has said, prayer is a wartime walkie-talkie. We don't use prayer to... to Many people use prayer like the intercom in their, their, their million-dollar yacht to call the server to bring them more caviar. That's not what Christians use prayer for. We're in a war to save sinners and glorify God. We use prayer for real needs, eternal needs, to store up treasure in heaven needs. Keep praying. Keep praying. Keep praying for prodigal sons, prodigal daughters, prodigal husbands. Keep praying. Don't give up. If you've started out saying no to God, it's still not too late to change your mind. If you've started out on the wrong path, the path of evil and rebellion against God, there's still time to repent. That's what this parable is telling us. There's still time to turn to God and trust in God and and start out obeying God and and changing your mind and walking with Him on the righteous path. There's still time to humble yourself. If you think of the most wicked people in the Old Testament, the most wicked people in the Old Testament, I'm particularly thinking of kings. What two kings come to mind? Manasseh. Manasseh and... Ahab. Beloved, there are beautiful pictures in the Bible of them humbling themselves and God showing them mercy. I love it. I love this. Look at 2 Chronicles 33, 9-13. You can change your mind today. If Manasseh, if God can change Manasseh's mind, if God can change Ahab's mind, He can change your mind. You can change your mind. 2 Chronicles 33, 9-13 Manasseh led Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem astray to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord destroyed before the people of Israel. The Lord spoke to Manasseh and to his people, but they paid no attention. Ah, sound familiar? Therefore the Lord brought upon them the commanders of the army of the king of Assyria and captured Manasseh with hooks and bound him with chains of bronze and brought him to Babylon. And when he was in distress, he entreated the favor of the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the Lord God of his fathers. He prayed to him. And God was moved by his entreaty and heard his plea and brought him again to Jerusalem into his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. Beloved, there's there's time. 
Even if you've been as wicked as Manasseh, you can change your mind today and humble yourself and cry out to God for mercy and He will save you. What about Ahab? 1 Kings 21, 21 through 29. King Ahab, 1 Kings 21, 21 through 29. I will utterly burn you up and I will cut off from Ahab every male, bond or free, in Israel. And I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebad, and like the house of Basha, the son of Ahijah, for the anger to which you have provoked me. And because you have made Israel to sin, and of Jezebel, the Lord also said, the dogs will eat Jezebel within the walls of Jezreel. Anyone belonging to Ahab who dies in the city, the dogs shall eat. And anyone of his who dies in the open country, the birds of the heavens shall eat. This is God's judgment on Ahab for his sin. There was none who sold himself to do what was evil in the sight of the Lord like Ahab, whom Jezebel his wife incited. He acted very abominably in going after idols as the Amorites had done, whom the Lord cast out before the people of Israel. And when Ahab heard those words... He tore his clothes and put sackcloth on his flesh and fasted and lay in sackcloth and went about dejectedly. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite saying, Have you seen how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring the disaster in his days. But in his son's days, I will bring the disaster upon his house. Beloved, if, if, if God is merciful to Manasseh, if God is merciful to Ahab, if you change your mind today, He will have mercy on you. If you humble yourself, He will have mercy on you. Keep praying. Keep praying for the prodigal husband, the prodigal son, the prodigal daughter, family members, friends who you would say are wicked like Ahab and Manasseh who would never change their minds, keep praying because God can humble them and save them. And God will be merciful. We also see in this parable even the life-transforming power of God in sinners' lives didn't convince these religious leaders. Even the life transforming power of God in sinners' lives didn't convince these religious leaders. Look at verse 32 again. And even when you saw it, in other words, even you Pharisees and and Sadducees and religious leaders, even when you saw prostitutes and tax collectors hear the word and repent and trust and follow what John was preaching who pointed to Jesus, so follow Jesus. When, When you saw them follow Jesus, you still didn't change your mind. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe Him. Beloved, Romans 2.4 says God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. I love, one of my favorite kinds of books to read are conversion biographies. I love to read the biography of Rosaria Butterfield. This lesbian, gay studies professor at Syracuse University who was living with her female lover and is invited into the home of a pastor and starts to go and have dinners with him and his wife and begins to read the Bible and and God changes her heart, changes her life, saves her. And now she's a line of God. Proclaiming truth and writing books about truth and is a homeschool mom and married to a pastor and living for Jesus. You see that. It should have an effect on you. You you see the power of God transforms sinners. It, It should have an effect on you. It should have had an effect on these religious leaders, but it didn't. They saw the power of God transform lives and they still didn't repent. Or the biography of Nabil Qureshi, Muslim, brought up in a Muslim home, Pakistani family, strongly Muslim. He would go to high school and and try to confound Christians who didn't have answers for his uh, rejection of the deity of Christ and the resurrection. 
He, he was a Muslim evangelist trying to convert Christians to Islam. And he met his match in college, David Wood. And God used David to tell him the truth. And after years of study and years of struggle and even dreams and visions, he repented of his sins, trusted in Christ, and wrote some amazing books about Christianity and Islam and Jesus. The next book we're going to do on Wednesday afternoons is going to be his biography. I read testimonies of KKK members who repent of their sins and believe the gospel. Remember the Apostle Paul? What about his conversion? What about his conversion? Beloved, when you look at TV and you see people who hate the gospel and hate Christ, think of the Apostle Paul and pray for their conversion. Pray for their conversion. Costy Hen. Going around with Benny Hinn, taking part in that wicked prosperity gospel. God saved him. And now he's preaching the true gospel. Pray that God would save his uncle. Pray that God would save these false teachers. God saved the apostle Paul. He can save them. And we've seen it. And when we see it, it should move us to praise God. If you're an unbeliever here, it should move you as you see the power of God transform lives. It should move you to repent and believe the gospel. But it had no effect on these religious leaders. The first and most important part of what Jesus is calling for in this parable, the first and most important part of what Jesus is calling for in this parable is belief in the one to whom John pointed. This is most important. Did you notice how many times believe is mentioned in this text? How it's repeated over and over and over again? Verse 32, For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe Him. Beloved, John came pointing people to Jesus. Behold, the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. I remember reading a story where Spurgeon was in this huge uh, a, a meeting hall where he was scheduled to preach soon and nobody was in there, but he wanted to test the acoustics. So he belted out, Behold, the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world! And there was this custodian up in one of the top decks who heard him and got saved. Amen. It's the power of the Word of God. Amen. Jesus came, uh, John came pointing to, to Jesus. And, and, and this is the most important thing that we see who John pointed to and believe. And these religious leaders rejected Jesus the Messiah. They did not believe. But prostitutes and tax collectors believed John who came in the way of righteousness. He came walking God's way and preaching God's truth and pointing to God's Messiah, baptizing Jesus that all righteousness might be fulfilled. And they should believe Him. And therefore believe Christ and follow Jesus. That's of first and most importance. That you believe in the one whom God has sent. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And beloved, believing in Him, believing in Him, we can hope in God's mercy. This, this parable again... And what Jesus says about it shows us the lavish mercy of God in saving sinners, in saving prostitutes, in saving tax collectors, in saving Joseph Randall, in saving, insert your own name. We have a God who has a mercy heart, who calls us to hope in His mercy. God delights to pursue you with mercy. His mercy fountain never runs dry. Beloved, I hope that you're encouraged every Sunday morning as you walk in that corner and you see that fountain. Be reminded, God's mercy fountain never runs dry. 
I was talking to Arthur Auker, who does a lot of work for us today, and he, he told me uh, why Philadelphia is possibly not worried about that little trickle is because Philadelphia's pipes are 200 years old, and so 60 million gallons per day water is lost in Philadelphia. He's like, Joseph, you think they're worried about that little trickle? 60 million gallons per day. And I looked it up, he's right. There's an article about it in 2015. But, but, but that even makes the illustration better. Because all I see is that little trickle, and yet God's mercies are lavishly even more than I know or see, or fathom or understand. God's mercy fountain never runs dry. Lamentations 3, 19-24, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in Him. Psalm 147, 11, The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear Him and those who hope in His mercy. Psalm 23, 6, Surely goodness and mercy shall pursue me. You should mark out follow in your Bible and write in pursue, chase down. The verb follow is not strong enough. Mark it out with a sharpie and put pursue, chase down. He's chasing you down. He's not just following you like, yeah, follow me. No, no, He's chasing you with goodness and mercy every day of your life. Romans 5.20 where sin increased, grace abounds all the more. You can't out God. The mercy fountain just keeps flowing. David Mathis in a wonderful article on mercy wrote fittingly, the most prominent request made of Jesus in the Gospels is have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. John Piper writes, not only does God promise not to turn away from doing good to us, He says, I will rejoice in doing them good. The Lord will again take delight in prospering you. He does not bless us begrudgingly. There's a kind of eagerness about the beneficence of God. He does not wait for us to come to Him. He seeks us out because it is His pleasure to do us good. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show His might on behalf of those whose heart is whole toward Him. God is not waiting for us. He is pursuing us. That, in fact, is the literal translation of Psalm 23, 6. Surely goodness and mercy shall pursue me all the days of my life. I've never forgotten how a great teacher once explained it to me. He said, God is like a highway patrolman pursuing you down the interstate with lights flashing and siren blaring to get you to stop, not to give you a ticket, but to give you a message so good it couldn't wait till you get home. God loves to show mercy. Let me say it again. God loves to show mercy. He is not hesitant or indecisive or tentative in His desires to do good to His people. His anger must be released by a stiff safety lock, but His mercy has a hair trigger. That's what He meant when He came down on Mount Sinai and said to Moses, The Lord, the Lord, a God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The point is the contrast between the sluggishness of His anger and the effusiveness of His love. And as the hymn says, what is God's greatest gift of mercy to us? Well, we're celebrating it in this season. The hymn says, Thy mercy is Jesus, exempts me from hell. Its glories I'll sing and its wonders I'll tell. T'was Jesus my all as He hung on the tree who opened the channel of mercy for me. Beloved, you should submit to Jesus' authority. In view of God's mercy, <laughs> you should submit to Jesus' authority, change your mind and trust and obey Him in order to enter the kingdom of God. How can we sinners receive mercy and God remain a just and holy God? Jesus Christ is the only begotten Son. Remember, this is the parable of the two sons. Jesus Christ is the only begotten Son of the Father who both said yes to do all of His Father's will and perfectly obey the Father's will. So He not only said yes, He did it and did it perfectly. Yet because of His great love for you and for the love of the glory of God, He submitted Himself to be treated like the disobedient Son. 
On that cross, He did not enter the kingdom of God, but was cast out as the unclean, disobedient Son. He suffered the hell and wrath of God that we deserve. He died. But then He rose up from the dead and ascended into heaven to rule and reign and intercede for us forever that we might have mercy. Christ Jesus is the righteous way. He is the Son who, yes, would say, then all His Father's will obey. But we've all sinned and gone astray like whores and cheats who do betray. We've chosen our own selfish way. But Christ would die our debt to pay. On Him, hell's wrath would fully lay. But then He rose all death to slay. By faith alone, we're just today. We change our minds to walk His way. We too say yes and do and pray. For Jesus takes our sins away. God's promises in Him are yea, who put God's love on full display. So we like Him trust and obey. Father, thank You. Thank You for Your Son, Jesus. Thank You for His teaching to us. Thank You for His death and resurrection for us. Thank You that He's ruling and reigning for us. Thank You, God, for these reminders we are given today through His teaching. And we do pray, Lord, that You would work in us so that we would not only be people who say yes, but also do the will of our Father. Lord, we pray that You would show us any ways in which we're acting like the Pharisees. God, any hypocrisy in our lives, any ways that we're saying yes outwardly but not doing. We, we pray, God, that You would gently and mercifully show us that and grant us repentance and faith. Lord, help us to change our minds in any ways in our lives. We need to change our minds about anything. And help us to believe in Your Son, Jesus, and all Your promises and Your Word and follow You faithfully. We thank You, Lord, that when we sin and fall short, Your mercy is more. That there is an everlasting fountain of mercy flow, flowing from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. We thank You and praise You, God, that Your mercy is more. For Jesus' sake, we ask all these things. Amen.